God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And I'm joined by Leonor Cavoda. Hello, Leonor. Good morning and happy St. Patrick's Day. Oh, my gosh. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Does that mean I get to drink a drink a green beer or something like that? Oh, you could. You know, it's just a reminder of it's now been a year since we've been in this pandemic. And I was thinking uh, that at this time last year, it, uh, this was just around the time that they were starting to say two weeks to stop the spread. Because I think the restaurants got in their St. Patrick's Day celebration before things started going to a grinding halt by the end of March. Right, right. Well, I've, I've been reading a lot of, you know, in preparation for the show today, I've been reading a lot about this, uh, these, these COVID measures. It's just absolutely uh, insane what, what I'm reading. Yeah, yesterday, for example, I read this article about a 60-something-year-old woman uh, that was uh, beaten down by uh, local authorities in Texas where they lifted the statewide ban but yet still, she she was forced by security to wear the masks. I think this was in America, uh, Bank of America. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a Bank of America. Yeah. And, yeah. and and again, you know, this the uh, governor put in place the removal of the mask requirement. Businesses can make their own requirements, but they they can't treat people like that. So if that was the case for that business, then the then the then the business could have had appropriate signage. They could have appropriately said something. But you know, you don't I treat remember, people like that. I remember there was a day in our country where McDonald's got sued for hot coffee. Yes, well, co- and, and then <laughs> going forward, you have to say coffee is hot yeah now oh coffee it's hot yeah it'll burn you that's disclosure disclosure yeah yeah we need more tort reform less tort yeah you know we less less uh litigation exclusive here is a new york city judge removed six-year-old from mother because she didn't wear a mask while dropping her kid off the school Mm. why in the world 
are we putting up with this? This is insane. Well, you know what's going to happen? I mean, the uh, prisons and are, are going to be filled with people. <laughs> New York point. City judge, yeah, except for illegals. Except who for are breaking illegals. the law. So, yeah. And spreading COVID, not wearing masks. Yeah. Um, my goodness. So a New York City judge has removed a six-year-old girl from her mother because she did not wear a mask while dropping her off outside of the school. In a shocking, egregious move, the court also told Dr. Epstein that in order to get short supervised visits with her child, doctor, uh, her name is Dr. Epstein. Yeah, she's a doctor. (laughs) She will have to wear a mask inside her own home. Wow. So this is the Birch Wathen Lennox School, established in 1916. It sounds expensive. It was a normal day for Dr. Micheline Epstein, a family physician, when she went to drop her daughter off at the Birch Wathen Lennox School on the Upper East Side last week. The Upper East Side is a very, very wealthy place to live. you got to be wealthy to live there. Until her... Well, not really, because I live there. I live well, in the there are side. there are sections. <laughs> I was certainly not wealthy. No, there are sections where you can find <laughs> yeah. about five college graduates all living in the same apartment. Well, I lived in Chelsea. I lived in the West Village, and I also lived on 90th and First, and uh, 90th and First. So that was uh, all the way up there, um, but it was nice place. Um, until her entire life was turned upside down in an instant. Instant. The tearful mother explained in a phone call that her daughter was already inside the building and wearing a mask when the school nurse and school security attempted to force Dr. Epstein to wear a mask on the public street in front of the building where drop-offs take place. Dr. Epstein refused. No one got a physical no one got physical or anything. She just refused to wear the mask. They were outside on the public sidewalk. Dr. Epstein's boyfriend, Jeff Gutenplan, uh, explained, adding that the daughter was wearing a mask because they are required to go inside. The mother explained that the school nurse had come ha- had come out of the out and was aggressively demanding that she put on the mask. But she was already leaving and did not accept it. The next thing I know, my daughter is taken away from me. She cried. So Dr. Epstein separated from her daughter's father. Yeah, so there's more to this story. Had shared a a shared agreement where the child split times between the home equally. The divorce, however, has been bitter. Okay. So you know what's happening here. It's not just the draconian measures. It's also that the father is using this as an opportunity right. to interfere. Right, so the father interfere. probably has some friends in the school. Exactly. And we don't like you. Yeah, so yeah. If we don't like you, we're going to use COVID. Well, you know, think about this. In the past, you know, you'd have a couple that are, have a bitter custody battle. They would try to show situations where the parent was not being a fit Right. Parent, they would create scenarios. So, so now, well, now you got COVID. COVID's your new friend for doing that. So now you got this family practice uh, physician that is told that she has to wear a mask. She's been gaslighted and ga- absolutely gaslighted. And now, and you think this is going to help her family practice? Yeah, you know, I mean, this is this is not new. I mean, there was this movie. I think it was Dial M for Murder. Yes, yes. Okay. It was a Hitchcock film. And there right? was also a movie called Gaslight, too. Right. But this the one I'm talking about is this blonde woman. Yeah. And she's being, um, uh, she's a little older. And somehow 
this guy is setting her up completely uh, as being like a loony to her. Right. And because he's going to commit a murder and he's going to sort of get her to witness certain things and he's going to she's going to try to turn him in and he's gonna, uh, basically uh, the guy's going to turn her into not being believable. Right. Uh, I guess uh, O. Henry wrote a, uh, wrote, a, wrote a literature piece called um, uh, The Catbird Seat. Right. Or, well, I don't know if it was O. Henry that wrote that, but The Catbird Seat, where uh, this guy acts completely out of normal. And uh, next thing you know, he uh, comes in the next day acting completely inappropriate the day before, but no one would ever believe it because this is like sort of like Mr. Magoo, right? He doesn't have a crazy side. And he walks in the office, and uh, this woman's saying, he smokes, he drinks, he's this, he's that, he's horrible. And um, all of a sudden, uh, she's the one that c- comes off looking crazy because right. she's making this story up that no one would believe. Yeah. Well, we're living in well, weird let times. Me, before we, before we, we move on, lest not our, as people start texting us that we talked about the wrong movie, Dial M for Murder is the one with Grace Kelly. This one, the one you're speaking of, is witness to murder with Barbara Stanwyck. Where she but that was it. That's it. You yeah, said I an older Barbara, woman is Barbara Stanwyck. Barbara Stanwyck, witness that's to right. murder. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, Grace Kelly played in a few uh, of our favorite Hitchcock films. Rear Window. Rear Window is one. All right. So no, no COVID deaths in six days in Sarasota, Florida. So good news, right? Yes. So God has sent uh, as a sense of humor. He must have. Read my piece from yesterday, uh, writes Larry Johnson. Mainstream media losing their minds over Florida. Okay. And again, that's because more people need to join Florida. Trust me. We need to unify as a party and unify uh, by doing the right thing because we're allowing these creeps to get away with murder. And, you know, I guess it's good news that Como is back on his heels or otherwise he would be in attack mode. So... We already got them on the ropes. We need to finish the job. We need to win this fight. Um, so we contacted the publisher of the Sarasota Herald Tribune. Today's Sarasota Herald Tribune, I have a friend from Sarasota, lives mm-hmm. in Sarasota, says it's a elderly population down there. Headlines underscores the New York Times status as a disgrace not worthy to be used to cover the bottom of a birdcage. Okay, so um, no deaths sure does not fit the meme of a rampaging pandemic, especially like like I say, in Sarasota, you, your population is older than average. Yeah. And so that would probably not be the, the best example. Yeah. But yet they're, they're having zero deaths, which is kind of kind of great. But did you see this one? A family was kicked off of a spirit flight because a four-year-old autistic son wouldn't wear a mask, despite a note from the doctor. Yeah, and I've seen other other situations like that. Well, you know, a four-year-old who is autistic and there's a a, doctor's note. I mean, come on. And there was another child that wouldn't wear a mask. Um, It's getting crazy out there, folks. 
Uh, and, the, and the medical note from the physician stated that he's exempt from wearing masks because whenever he wears a mask, he holds his breath or he starts freaking out and will harm himself. I mean, come on, this is getting ridiculous. This The, the child could have been putting himself... Um, Putting her, uh, actually, I think it was a girl. Putting her, uh, putting himself at risk by wearing the mask. Well, why do you think it is though? Why do you think they're doing it? I think you know. I think it's got to be. There's got to be an mo to it. I think there's several aspects to this mo. One is the longer we continue the pandemic. The longer we continue the perception that we're in the middle, we're in the midst of a pandemic, the more the draconian measures will remain in place, which will benefit a socialist economy. And also, I think it is a control thing. I think the people who are advocates for continuing it are control freaks. Now, I'm not saying that the pandemic doesn't exist. Of course it exists. But if what President Biden says is true, and there will be why, and then there will have why. Let let's me just not call him president. Well, whatever. We? Uh, let's the seat warmer. I can't, if I can't uh, do that. as I like to say, if what he says is true, and by May first there will be widespread availability for the vaccine. Okay, if we have a vaccine, we have tests. Why are we so, still on lockdown in many instances? You you can't have it both ways. Well, we got to hear a little bit about uh, uh, from uh, President Trump. Now, the real president in the room. And let's take a listen. Thank you. Mr. President, I'm glad you came on to talk about all of the success that you had uh, in your term because it certainly was significant. Uh, as we uh, wrap up here, Mr. President, what, what was your take on Meghan Markle uh, now saying she, uh, meeting with Democrat operatives, she may want to run for president? Well, I hope that happens, because uh, if that happened, then I'd be, I think I'd have a, an even stronger feeling toward running. I'm not a fan of hers. Uh, I think that what she talks about the royal family and the queen, I happen to think I know the queen, as you know. I've met with the queen, and I think the queen yes. is a tremendous person, and I'm not a fan of Meghan. Mr. President, it's wonderful to catch up with you once again. Please come back soon. Stay well. Thank you very much, Maria. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> you know, that the, so that was the soundbite that got attention was the comment about Meghan Markle. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, the big juxtaposition that we see between um, Trump and Biden is that Trump was the consummate constant communicator. And he had no qualms about standing out there with the choppers going, talking to the press for 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, he rarely had a situation where he didn't take questions. And in fact, to my memory, the one situation I remember was when he uh, had COVID and then he just kind of waved at people. But you now see Biden, who every time he speaks, it's a special event because it almost rarely happens. He's supposed to have his uh, first press conference on March 25th. And I really do believe that the press are getting very fed up, the press from both sides of the aisle, because, you know, they can't question the president. And then they have a press secretary with Jen Psaki, who was previously uh, a State Department communications spokesperson. And she really, you know, is always constantly pivoting and saying she needs more information. She doesn't take the question straight on. Kaylee McEnany um, took the question straight on, smiled when she pointed to the next questioner, showed that she was very comfortable in that arena. And the other previous press secretaries also took on all the tough questions. 
Why is Jen Psaki getting a pass? Right, right, absolutely. Well, you know, they also uh, made a report. Uh, Biden's going home to Wilmington for the fourth time in his short, you know, reign of terror. Yeah. And uh, it's just there's so many, so many different things. But one of the things we did uh, have queued up for today is we wanted to hear from Donald Trump, President Trump. Yes. uh, And his interview with Maria Bartiroma. So here we go. Let's see. President Biden's agenda, the crisis at the border, and the attacks on the Trump presidency. As the Washington Post today is forced to correct quotes of President Trump that he never made. And today, Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas said that the United States is facing more migrants at the border than it has in the last 20 years. But he stopped short of calling it a crisis. Joining me right now with reaction to that and a lot more is the 45th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Mr. President, thank you so much for being with me tonight. Thank you, Maria. Thank you. We have we have so much to get to with you. President Biden's first order of business on January 20th and 21st was to overturn your policies at the border, immediately stop construction of the wall, triggering an onslaught of new illegal immigration. Your reaction. Do you believe this would not have happened had he not overturned your policies? Well, my policies were working better than they've ever seen on the southern border. The wall is almost complete. Uh, We just had to fix little sections, complete little sections that had to be together. We needed them in order to get the trucks back and forth from side to side. Uh, But they've chosen to stop right in the middle. Uh, They could have it finished in uh, a month, and it would be just magnificent. It already is magnificent what it's done in the areas where it's totally completed, but just small sections are remaining and they should finish it. But they're destroying our country. People are coming in by the hundreds of thousands. Uh, Young children are coming in and they leave their homes and they come up because they think it's going to be uh, so wonderful. And frankly, our country can't handle it. It is a crisis like uh, we've rarely had and certainly we've never had on the border. But it's going to get much worse. I mean, what you're seeing now is very bad, record numbers, but it's going to get much, much worse. With a little bit of uh, time, you'll see those numbers expand uh, at a level like you've never seen before. Well, you had 400-plus miles of new wall constructed, Mr. President. Of course, you did a deal with Mexico to share the burden of the illegal immigration. The Remain of Mexico policy was something I know that you and Secretary Pompeo worked on for a long time. Is there any way to reverse that? What would be your advice for the Biden administration to stop the bleeding at the border? What if you could control the web? with your mind what if telekinesis well i have great respect for the president of mexico he's a great gentleman we had a very good relationship Uh, they had twenty-eight thousand soldiers on our border while we were building the wall they had twenty-eight thousand soldiers not allowing people to come into our country and they were also stopping them at their northern border by honduras and el salvador guatemala They were stopping them so they wouldn't come through Mexico, and we had it really down to a good system. And as the wall was finished, they could remove soldiers, but they still had the same 28,000. And uh, we had a great relationship. They understood that I was playing with tariffs if they didn't do that. 
but we never had to do that to Mexico because the relationship that we developed was very, very good, very close. And we stopped what was coming into Mexico at their northern border. They stopped that, and they stopped it at our southern border. So we had very few people coming in, and we also stopped human trafficking. When I say stopped it, made a tremendous dent like has never been made before, and also drug trafficking. So we did a lot of things, and all of that is now eroded. Today, uh, they're coming in. You take a look. They're coming in from all foreign countries. I see they're coming in now from Yemen. They're coming in from the Middle East. They're coming in from everywhere. They're dropping them off, and they're, they're pouring into our country. It's a disgrace. They're going to destroy our country if they don't do something about it. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about this and the implications. There are sexual assaults. Uh, Mexico's president said that he said that the cartels view President Biden as the migrant president. Look, President Trump, you've had a little time now to sit back and think about all of this. I want to get your take on President Biden's agenda, including the border, but also this stimulus package, the idea that we are on the doorstep of much higher taxes. What would be the impact, yeah. in your view, uh, on an economy that is just beginning to recover? Well, they were. Rec it was recovering under my administration twice. Uh, we got it to a level that the world has never seen before. We were the envy of the world. And then when we got hit by the, as I call it, the China virus, COVID, uh, it was it obviously went down along with every other economy. And then we were the first to get it back up. And we actually, the stock market when I left was higher, slightly higher than it was even at the prime prior to COVID. So it, it was incredible what we were able to do. If you look at the jobs numbers, we had the all-time highest number of jobs. We had 160 million people working. We were never close to that. Everything we had, African-American, Asian-American, Hispanic-American, everybody was setting records, women, uh, it didn't matter. Any group was setting records. And now when I look at what's happening, we were energy independent. Very shortly, we will no longer be energy independent. Uh, gas prices are going up at a far more rapid rate than anybody's seen in a long time. We had gas prices very low, and yet we had more energy jobs than we've ever had. But, you know, when you see gas prices going up, and they'll be going up by $1, $2, $3, if you look at that, and and that's you know that uh, it's bigger than a tax increase to the consumer. You get a dollar increase in gasoline. That's a that's bigger than a tax hike than a big tax hike. So it's a terrible thing that's happening. And then let's talk about tax hikes. They'll be raising taxes at the highest number that we've ever seen. It'll be the biggest tax increase in the history of our country to pay for everything and. It's it's a very devastating thing. It's it's a very sad thing to watch. Uh, fortunately, in my administration and through what I did, frankly, and others, but what I did with the FDA is I forced them to move quickly, and we got the vaccine done in nine months instead of five years. I don't think it would have ever been done, frankly, because according to their rules and regulations, they would have never had it. But we got a vaccine done in nine months, and fortunately, yes. that's not only going to save our country, it's going to save the world. Well, I'm glad you brought this up, Mr. President, because we just heard from President Biden last week on Thursday. He gave his first primetime speech, as you know, and he said that when the coronavirus first showed up, 
And that was at the beginning of 2020 when we did have a three and a half percent unemployment rate, as you just noted. But he said that when the coronavirus first arrived, it was met with silence for days and weeks and then months. There was no word of your Warp Speed program. How are you feeling tonight about the fact that you're not getting any credit for any of this by the Biden administration? In fact, even when it comes to the border, Nancy Pelosi this weekend said that uh, the Biden administration inherited the border issues from the Trump administration. All right, now we're going to fix that. (laughs) So when you go to uh, when you go to the covid issue, uh, we did a great job. We get very little credit for it. I closed the country far earlier. Dr. Fauci and Burks and all of these people that frankly made nothing but mistakes. They didn't want to do it. They didn't want to keep closer to China. I closed the border to China. I closed the border to Europe. Uh, Italy and all these countries that were having tremendous problems long before they wanted me to do it. And if you look at Biden, he didn't want to do it months afterwards. And then ultimately he admitted that he made a mistake in saying that if I didn't do that, we would have had hundreds of thousands of more lives gone. Uh, But the big thing is what I've and I've always felt that was the most important is the vaccine. The key was always going to be the vaccine. And when Biden got the vaccine in December, And on January 20th, he made a statement that he doesn't think we have vaccines. Now, I don't know. Did he make that statement as a statement or did he not actually know we had the vaccine? What's going on there? But uh, he got his shot. He got his first shot on in December, on December 21st, I believe. So with the vaccines and with the job we've done with covid, with getting I inherited empty an empty cupboard. Biden failed very badly with the H1N1, with the, as you know, uh, the the he had a chance to do something and they had a tremendous, tremendous failure. H1N1. It was a disaster. And now he's taking over this. What he's taken over, warp speed. We had it. Our military, what they've done in terms of delivery has been incredible. Incredible. And we gave up to 1.3 million shots a day before he even took over. So not only did we have the vaccine, and one thing we did, we took a a big bet on this. We started manufacturing the vaccine before we really knew it worked. We saved many, many months and millions of lives by doing that because you wouldn't have the vaccine right now if we didn't take that chance. We knew what we were doing. We knew that we felt strongly it was going to work. And we took a risk, and the risk was spending billions of dollars to develop it before we knew and before we had the approval that it was going to work. It works incredibly well, 95 percent, maybe even more than that. It works incredibly well. And it's really saving our country, and it's saving, frankly, the world. So, so, Mr. President, I know that you received the vaccine. Mrs. Trump also got the vaccine. Would you recommend to our audience that they get the vaccine then? I would. I would recommend it. And I would recommend it to a lot of people that don't want to get it. And a lot of those people voted for me, frankly. But, you know, again, we have our freedoms and we have to uh, live by that. And I agree with that also. But it's a great vaccine. It's a safe vaccine. And it's uh, something that works. And uh, we've been working round the clock and what I got the FDA to do, this would have happened. This would have happened in many, many uh, Years from now, if we didn't, if I didn't get involved and if we did get involved. 
Yeah, tell me more about that. I remember you were talking about, when, when you were in office, you were talking about the meeting that you held with the major pharmaceutical company heads, and you were garnering all of their support to work together to ensure that a vaccine was on the market as soon as possible. And you said that one issue that you were trying to do was to alleviate any bureaucracies within the FDA. How was it right. that you were able to encourage a vaccine on the market within nine months. That was quite extraordinary. Well, well, I wouldn't say the FDA loves me, but I pushed them very, very hard, harder than they've ever been pushed. And a number of the people in the FDA admitted that. And at the end, they were very happy. But they uh, did not like me. In fact, they wanted to announce it sometime after the election because they just didn't. I, I think most people knew we pretty much had the vaccine before the election, but they wanted to announce it along with the drug companies who are not fans of mine. Because if you look at favored nations and all of the things I've done to bring down drug prices, nobody's ever done what I've done. But that cost the drug companies a lot of money. In fact, they took tens of millions of dollars of commercials. So they wanted to announce the vaccine after. And I understand that. But somebody had to do it. You will see drug prices. Yep. If Biden leaves it alone, you will see drug prices. Favored nations means we get the price of the lowest nation. Whoever pays the lowest, we get that price. Right now, we're the highest in the world. We will be the lowest in the world, meaning tied for the lowest in the world. The drug companies were very unhappy with that. They never thought anybody would do it, but I did it. So with the vaccine, I pushed the FDA at a level that they've never been pushed before, and they got it done in nine months instead of five years. Now, the five years, I think, would have never happened because I don't think they would have ever gotten it done. You well, know, the other one is uh, price transparency. Yes, with the pharmaceuticals, absolutely. Right. Uh, well, no, and x-rays. And x-rays and, 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 uh, diagnostics, and other, diagnostics and other services. Where they have to list their prices. But they have to list their prices, and then that way. You know you, you know what I uh, and create an, an analogy with? Cosmetic surgery. Much of that is not covered by health care. Um, so when people go out, like, for example, when I had a problem with my ear a few years ago and I had to have something fixed, that was cosmetic surgery. Now, I went to the place that I was going to because the price sounded reasonable. But if I took more time into competitive shopping, they have to kind of tell you what their prices are. Yeah, because you're paying out of pocket. You're you, paying you out of know, pocket. You and, want to know how much and it so Plus, the, it's elective surgery. Right, it's elective. So, so, but um, still, you know, it's we not should, like a heart transplant. Exactly. Where but, you, you know, you're not going to sit there with a heart attack going on and, and bargain price. Of course not. Yeah. And, but we should still be giving people the price transparency about things that they don't have to make a decision about that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I think that um, uh, favorite nation status with uh, you know basically getting the guaranteed lowest price you know who whoever thought of that idea he said that right? sounds like what was that crazy eddie <laughs> no i was doing avalon the movie avalon, avalon yeah yeah <laughs> guaranteed lowest prices right and um you know but but it's true and uh and now we see astrazeneca profiteering off of the uh off of the vaccine they're basically saying that they made so much money that they want to now do a third round. It's been so good for business. Yeah. You know, that that to me, uh, let's see, third, third vaccine. I'm going to, uh, I'll tell you the truth. It's, it's kind of crazy um, when you think about how, uh, how, you know, they, they don't even disguise it. So, so basically they just, they're going to put out a third vaccine um, 
Yeah, they're going to put out a third vaccine, uh, and it's going to be for sheer profit. Their, their yeah. prices are going to go up. Yeah. Uh, and although we're getting it for free, right? Yeah. If we're, you know, when I say we, I'm speaking collectively. Right. Not me particularly. Um, and the idea is that, and I think it's AstraZeneca is the one that's getting rejected by uh, it is. Denmark. Y- Europe is suspending, uh, I have an article from an hour ago, Europe is suspending AstraZeneca uh Germany vaccines. got involved. Yeah, but they're Norway at, and the article is the article's uh, per, um, perspective is that the suspension may be politically motivated. Well, what else are they going to say? Right? Exactly. I mean, you know, there's so many things that are politically motivated. Uh, this whole thing is political. Um, you know, uh, the Democrats though they get away with it. You know, they get away with saying things that just don't make any sense you know well, like for I, example here you got i'm going to play this joy behar maybe the only time we'll ever play joy behar uh, on our show ever in the history um but she's such an idiot from the view right i don't know how people could listen to this nonsense she's just such a stupid person and she's calling ron johnson uh senator ron johnson a racist for God knows what reason. Um, but then she defends uh, Antifa. So check this out. You know what I mean? I guess, you know, it's funny. Right out there with his racism, there's no dog whistle for him. You know, it's like, I'm a racist. Have a nice day. You know what I mean? I guess, you know, it's funny. When I was watching this, it's so aggravating to listen to this idiot. I mean, he and I are very different. I'll tell you this right now. If I was surrounded by people carrying weapons, uh, people erecting nooses, a screaming hang Mike Pence, bludgeoning a police officer to death, I might be a little scared. But Ron, no. He's not scared of those people. He's scared of this fictitious idea of Antifa, a thing that doesn't even exist. He needs to go. He needs to go, and soon. Fictitious idea of Antifa that doesn't even exist. Yeah, it's ridiculous. How can she get away with that statement? How can people say Antifa doesn't they exist? They took over the city of Seattle, the, right. the, the, the Chad. <laughs> you know, I mean, we had, this go- we had this going on for months with them taking over cities. And you know what? It was still going on after President Trump was out of office. And we're saying, okay, well, what's going on? What's your beef? Well, the, the, now they're complaining about Biden. Yeah, well, it, it's just ludicrous. Right. So we want to talk also about some election fraud. Uh, it says here, uh, media, Molly, Molly Hemingway, media's entire Georgia narrative is fraudulent, not just the fabricated Trump quotes. The fake quotes, bad as they were, are just one of many ways the media have done a horrible job of covering election disputes in the state. So the other thing is uh, related to um, Liz Cheney. Yeah. Liz Cheney based her entire impeachment vote, which she voted to impeach the president in the House of Representatives. And she based it on what we now know to be a totally fabricated reporting reporting of a call. And it had to have been pretty badly fabricated for them to have to come out finally and acknowledge that it was wrong. But it's interesting, the coverage of the acknowledgement of the wrong saying, it was very limited. The Washington Post was busted for publishing fabricated quotes from an anonymous source, attributing them to a sitting president and using... 
Oh, my God. And using those quotes as a basis to speculate the president committed a crime, the invented Donald Trump quotes, which related to a fight over election integrity in Georgia, were cited in Democrats' impeachment brief and during the Senate impeachment trial. Why are these people not disbarred? How could you do this? How could you get away with making up, fabricating evidence and producing, yeah. presenting it for an impeachment trial? And and they've got them saying oh, that the president allegedly said, "Find find the uh, the cheating or find the yeah." I mean, which he never I mean, said that. This is the most unfair set of things that have happened since I I can't remember. Like the whole thing about the Russian hoax. It's like, can you prove to me one thing? Yes, I mean, the General Flynn part, you know, he met up with uh, Strzok and Pe- uh, St- Peter Strzok and, and, and Pianka, Joe Pianka, mm-hmm. and allowed himself to be caught compromised in a private room. And Pianka and Strzok created and fabricated uh, 302 uh, notes mm-hmm. from that closed session meeting that the White House lawyers themselves said was a huge mistake that Flynn made. And you just almost wonder, you know, was it a mistake that Flynn would actually meet with Pianka and Strzok to perpetuate this Russian hoax over a perfectly good call that Flynn made with Kislyak? But all of a sudden, they want to impeach the president over the Russian hoax. And they want to take Flynn down. So what does Flynn do? Flynn has to get an attorney. He gets fired from the uh, Trump administration. First guy to get fired. Got fired in two weeks. Same day as uh, Sally Yates got fired. Uh, no, not the same day, actually. No, less than that. But uh, the, the, when Sally Yates got fired... The whistleblower attorney, Eric Ciaramella, was supposed to be the whistleblower. The whistleblower attorney, Mark Zaid, says a coup has started. Series of many steps. Lawyers will be involved. Ultimately, we'll get our impeachment. This was on January 30th, 2017. But in the end of the day, what is Flynn's reaction to do? You know, what does he do? He, he hires Eric Holder's attorney, uh, Eric Holder's law firm where Eric Holder worked as a partner. And he decides, that's going to be the law firm I choose, Covington and Burling. And then you got Sidney Powell with the Kraken. Yep. And we know the Kraken to be a fraud, personally. And you got to say, well, what is going on in the Republican Party today? you got the rhinos like Liz Cheney on uh, in, in the tent. And then you got the you know, infiltrators, uh, Lynn Wood's a Democrat, Patrick Byrne's a Democrat, General Flynn. Guess what? He's a Democrat. Democrat, yeah. And guess who got a promotion? General Flynn's brother. General Flynn's brother got a promotion. He's now head of the Pacific Army, the Army in Pacific. Yeah. Charles Flynn. Look it up. Yeah. So I don't know, man, what's going on. But you know what? we got to straighten out this mess or we're going to lose our country because we cannot fight a good fight divided. We cannot fight that good fight divided. 
But the fake quotes, it's all fake dis- disinformation. You know what this reminds me of? It's all infiltration. You, it, this reminds me of the dossier, the dirty dossier with the circular reporting. I mean, it's not exactly the same thing. Well, in, exa- fact, in fact, it's worse. It's exactly the same. They made it up out of whole cloth. Right. I'm talking about Christopher Steele's right. dossier. Right. Right. And, and, and everywhere you turn, the perfectly good call. Oh, well, you know, they didn't know he was going to release the transcripts. But somehow, Alexander Vindman decides he heard something he didn't like, talks to George Kent, the bow tie wearing guy, and Eric Ciaramella, who is actually the lover of Adam Schiff's NSC hire, Sean Misko, with a sleepy eye. And um, next thing you know, they're spinning this web. And to this day, to this day, if we were to mention Eric Ciaramella on Facebook, we get canceled off of Facebook. Yeah. I'm not allowed to say the name Eric Ciaramella on Facebook. If I say it, I'll be banned from Facebook. Eric Ciaramella. Who the heck is he? Some little whippersnapper, about 33 years old, worked with uh, Michael Carpenter. Uh, with the Italian job as part of that Russian hoax disaster. And Michael Carpenter is the same guy that's sitting to Biden's right when Biden starts bragging about how he tried to fire Victor Shokin, the attorney general, the uh, you know basically the attorney prosecutor that was going after Burisma in Ukraine. So it's all connected where the left did their business. And like I say, it's no different than Watergate. Watergate, this stuff has been going on for forever. Just like we talked about um, Witness to a Murder, happened, it was a black and white film, gaslighting. Well, the media is doing it today. It's not new news. And this is not new news. Watergate was the same thing. The plumbers, the burglars, burglarized their own headquarters. And they blamed it on Nixon. Yeah. Who else would they blame it on? We didn't burglarize ourselves. Well, it's been done before. Insurance claims will People tell you. People do that. Insurance happens. adjusters will tell you, hey, I think what you did was you burglarized your own headquarters yeah. uh, because you thought it was going to work out well for you. And, and you it collect didn't. the insurance. Exactly. Because there's no way that Nixon was going to lose to McGovern. He won in a landslide. Why would he have to do it? And he didn't do it. But he got impeached. Or he didn't get impeached. He had to resign or he was going to get impeached. Yeah, Because resign. back in the day, there was Republicans back then. There was people like um, how, uh, John Dean who were colluding with FBI, uh, disgruntled FBI agent uh, director. Uh, well, actually, it was a F- disgruntled FBI deputy director, Mark Felt. Otherwise known as Deep Throat. Right. Who was a liberal Working for the FBI, colluding with liberal journalists like Woodward and Bernstein. Yeah. It sounds exactly like what just happened with the Russian hoax. Exactly. We've been saying that for years. Hillary Clinton was on the Watergate Commission. And she got fired. Where did she get that idea? Oh, and then she finances the Russian hoax? Are you kidding me? Yeah. And, And in the center of the Russian hoax is General Flynn. Yeah. I don't get it. Well, no, I do get it. <laughs> but nobody else seems to get it. And, you know, every time I bring this up, I get in big trouble. People write in and they hate me. 
Well, let's see if anybody's doing it. that right. <laughs> they do. <laughs> it's like, you know, you're, you're ter- you're, you, you don't got your facts straight. All I'm going to ask you to do, folks, ask the same questions I'm asking. And if you can answer them, if you can answer them, please help me out. Call in and help me out and answer those questions for me. But the fake quotes Molly Hemingway writes, bad as they were, are just one of many ways the media have done a horrible job of covering election disputes in the state. Again, another cover-up. And every, in every case, it's always this stuff that's done behind closed doors, whether it's Adam Schiff's investigation in the basement of the Capitol, right? Or you got... The special counsel, Bob Mueller, who doesn't even know who Fusion GPS is, yeah. where you're not allowed to ask any questions. He's going to do it with with um, Barry, Barry Weissman or uh, Andrew Weissman. And, um, and then you have um, the Ukraine uh, situation. You have the Russian hoax, special counsel. But in every case, what you had was you had all this stuff done behind the scenes. For crying out loud, even COVID was a behind-the-scenes operation. Totally. It's like, oh, who's coming up with this data? Who's the data guy? Yeah. Right? Who's predicting that 2 million people are going to die if we don't crack You know, right. crack down? You know, I saw the same deception from um, Colonel Powell, Colin Powell, when he was pushing the weapons of mass destruction at the UN. And for that, I actually supported him. I said, I don't believe there's weapons of mass destruction, but I do believe... Uh, that we want to surround Iran with our presence. We already had gone into Afghanistan in the wake of 9-11. We wanted to go into Iraq. And they had already, uh, Saddam Hussein had already violated so many uh, uh, ceasefire agreements that it was a no-brainer because we knew that the the villain was Iran, but we didn't have any proof to go in So to Iran. And we knew that the other villain at the time was Saudi Arabia. And they were using their oil leverage. And they were teaching Wahhabism. And so we decided we were going to go ahead and steal, go into Iraq, seize the oil, create leverage over Saudi Arabia, and surround Iran, who was a weak theocracy at the time, with a young population that was influenced by emerging, emerging social media at the time, and it was a war of ideas and perception that would have actually won the day without so much bloodshed. And so I supported going into Iraq for that reason. But the biggest thing that crippled the George W. Bush effort in Iraq wasn't, wasn't, uh, wasn't anything but the mainstream media. The mainstream media who spun Abu Ghraib for more front-page cover stories on the New York Times than any other story in the history of mankind. And it was basically a frat house prank. Nobody got killed. Nobody got tortured. They were embarrassed, and they made some guys pose naked, whatever. It was a bad call, bad judgment. But you got a bunch of young warriors in the middle of a desert, bored out of their minds, overseeing a bunch of terrorists, and they made a mistake. And the New York Times destroyed them for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And pretty much imp- had a very much a negative impact on that war. So according to, back to Molly Hemingway, but what I'm saying is this story 
isn't much different than any other story. See, the first thing you have to do when you're researching is you have to ask the question, where's the evidence? Where's the proof? You can't trust these people on face value. You can't say it's just being taken care of. You know, Durham didn't get the job done. Bob Mueller didn't get the job. Nobody's getting the job done. The Ukraine call was perfect. But everybody's making this stuff up. And they're trying to actually, you know, get the impeachment that they so desire or what have you. Take down their political adversaries. It's a nightmare business being in politics. Trust me. You know, if you, God forbid, you can become successful and you come close to winning the nom, you win the nomination to be a senator. Right. And uh, next thing you know, old Gloria Allred shows up with some, some woman that you never met from the twenty something years ago. Says she met you, and all of a sudden. Gloria Alred's got some girl in tears that says it's just like it was yesterday that something happened to me when oftentimes nothing happened. Roy Happened to Roy Moore. Happened to a lot of people. You know, whether it's true or not, you can't even prove it. But if it happens to Biden, you know, with the his accuser, nobody even cares. No, they don't. But if it happens to a Republican, you have to listen to Maisie Rono, Rono tell you um, – Trust all women. Well, why is it that nobody's believing the six or seven women that have come out about Andrew Cuomo? Exactly. I, I mean, why aren't we believing those women? Oh, how about Northrum and his blackface or yeah. Ku Klux yeah. Klan pictures? And uh, nothing ever happened. He ran an ad against uh, Gillespie that was a completely race-baiting, uh, ac- accusatory ad against his uh, adversary, political yeah. adversary. Yeah. And it played well. It was a black truck driving with rebel flags and he was calling Gillespie a racist and next thing you know it's he who was dressed up in KKK uh, paraphernalia and blackface Uh, and he doesn't resign from it the thing that the problem I have is A they shouldn't even bring up that stuff if you can't prove it don't bring it up that's number one but number two if you do bring it up and you still can't prove it then you should be discredited. And especially if at the same time, you're guilty of worse than what you're accusing the other person for. So according to the media narrative, the Georgia presidential election was a perfectly run as any election in history. And anyone who says otherwise is a liar. We've seen this playbook. To push the narrative, that narrative, the media steadfastly downplayed, ignored, or prejudicedly dismissed legitimate concerns with how Georgia had run its November 2020 election and complaints about it. That posture was the complete opposite of how they were reporting on Georgia elections prior to the Democrats performing well in them. In the months prior to November, some media sounded a bit like Lynn Wood when they wrote about Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, Dominion voting systems, legal challenges in the state, and Georgia election integrity in general. Well, remember Stacey Abrams when yeah. she lost? Yes. She never uh, conceded. I'm the governor of this state. She never conceded. And you know what's worse about that? People built her up politically. Uh, you know, she that opportunity that she took for herself by never conceding, she continued to build a constituency while doing that. Yeah, well, that article goes into the idea that before the election, it was uh, it was um, 
they were talking about how rigged, how messed up Georgia is. But I guess they didn't know all the good hard work that Mark Elias was doing to rig the election down there. <laughs> you know, I don't think that they even thought that Mark Elias is going to be so successful as he was. And, uh, you know, folks, we, we really have to straighten things up here. And, you know, that's what we try to do on this show. You know, look, I, I, have, no, uh, I have no interest in anything but telling the truth. I'm not getting rich off the show. The show is great. I love doing it. Um, I have. I, I get my. I, I make my living. You know, doing other things. Um, this is a complete contribution. You know, this is a philanthropy, if you will. Uh, it's really uh, something I do from the heart. I love politics. I love fighting. <laughs> you know, I love all these things. You know, I'm a bit of a fighter, and uh, and I like exposing the truth, and I like the good argument. But, you know, I don't like the deception, and I don't like making the show. Like, I hear a lot of shows where people talk about themselves and their experiences almost all day and all night. Well, I think... I think and people, I get really tired of I that. I think people like personal anecdotes. Yeah. I think that connects you to people, but there's a difference between telling a personal anecdote, story from your childhood, or something like that, um, versus going on and on about what your personal agenda is it's a totally different thing and i you know because i think listeners like to connect to people but we also want to talk about the broader issues and not just sit there and listen to somebody drone on about what's important to them yeah yeah and that's that's the thing so i mean when you listen to the show we talk about current events right you know that's what our show is about it's about current events and uh, you know, news stories. It's about the story. I never lost sight of that. Uh, I've seen a, a lot of different uh, movies. One comes to mind is the, the movie The Paper. And he's like, "Look, we cover the story. We're not the story." Right. And that's where the problems come in. Is when too when, often when these, the reporter becomes the story, then that's the problem. Yeah. Or too often, small time show hosts think that somehow because they got big guests. That somehow that makes them bigger. And, the, and, and, and the, one thing I've learned is getting a guest to come on your show is about the easiest thing to do. Right? I mean, remember in the beginning when we first started Well, in the, the show? very beginning it was a little challenging. But then once we started doing it, you saw how easy it was. Yeah. Well, you would just make a call. We called up Rick Grinnell yeah. the day that of the Constellation of Benefits yeah. and Gay Marriage. And he was in a makeup chair with Bill O'Reilly. And uh, we we learned then that Bill O'Reilly wasn't live. It was pre-recorded because that was like at 2 p.m. for an 8 p.m. episode. And, and this was booking um, him directly. This wasn't going yeah, through it. And um, he was and in the makeup chair for Bill O'Reilly. And uh, I had seen him on a morning program. We, yeah, we saw And him. I said, wow, he has an interesting twist for a Republican on that particular decision. Wouldn't it be and, great to have him on? And you called. I made it happen. That like I within, think I, uh, I think I sent an email. I think yeah. that's how I handled but we, it. We've gotten a lot of good. We've had all the Trumps on yeah. except for Donald. Except for Donald. Yeah, we had Don Jr. We had Don Jr. We Lara. had Eric Lara. And we didn't have um, we didn't have uh, Ivanka. No, we did. Well, Ivanka we could have gotten Ivanka. Uh, Ivanka was, was was. And then a, you met. Lara, I met Lara. Diamond and Silk. We've yeah. had Diamond and Silk on. Yeah, we had on. Diamond and Silk on. And you, you also met... Um, I met... Um, Pearson. Uh, Katrina Pearson. Yeah, I, yeah I met a, a few of them. Yeah, Real, and really nice people, too. Yes. Everything I've heard about the family 
And one of the things was uh, Eric Trump, when he, ca- when he called in, called him from his cell phone. He was at the airport. It was getting a little noisy, but it didn't bother me. He said, but he was I afraid move? it was bothering the show. So he said, let me walk so, so it's quieter. So, and then he went into a hallway corridor and shut the door. You could hear him shut it. And he gave us his undivided attention. So it was really nice. And Lara Trump, when I met her, she thanked me. I said that I had interviewed her husband and her brother-in-law. And she said, thank you for interviewing them. Yeah, I mean, such, that's what she said. Such a class act. Well, you know what? So, you know, winners will always win. And we're going to win this. Um, they're, they're crashing and burning. The left is crashing and burning. They cannot pull this off. I don't believe that they'll be able to pull it off. Uh, they can go nuclear all they want with the filibuster. We'll see. But in any case, um, that brings us to the end of our show. Actually, we missed our exit. Uh, so my name's Scott Adams. My name's Leonor Corvetta. We'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye now.